Well, uh, as Jim uh, so well said, we belong to a family of churches called Sovereign Grace Churches. And Mickey is a fellow elder, fellow pastor uh, at one of our sister churches in Charlotte called Crossway Community Church. He's also the regional leader of our region, the Mid-South region, which are uh, churches in the Virginias and the Carolinas, as well as an international church in Bolivia. And one of the ways that he cares for our churches is by coming to spend time with us and serving us through, through preaching. Now, as a Sovereign Grace Church, we are thoroughly gospel-centered in all we do. In other words, the work of Christ in his life and his death and his resurrection informs everything that we do. It informs our worship. It informs our discipleship. It informs our fellowship. It informs our mission. It informs our practice. But it's easy, isn't it, to forget that it is the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, who enables us to behold Christ so that we are changed by the gospel. The Spirit applies to God's people what Christ supplied through his death and his resurrection. Now, as a church, I say all that because as a church, we're getting ready in next week to start sort of a mini-series on the activity of the Holy Spirit in the gathered church as we go through 1 Corinthians. So next week, we're going to start 1 Corinthians 12, and we're just going to spend time through the remainder of the year studying 12, 13, and 14 together. So we thought it would be fitting this morning to have our friend Mickey come and preach a sermon on the work of the Holy Spirit out of John chapter 7, just to sort of whet our appetite for what's coming up in the coming weeks. So with all of that said, no more speaking. Let's open up God's word together. Mickey, would you come and would you? Would you help me welcome him? Can you take this coffee yes. cup? It's oh, bothering me. No, it's bothering me. Thank you for praying for me this morning. Um, I think everybody gets nervous when they say Mickey has heart issues. And you're kind of wondering, is he going to drop dead while he's up here speaking? Probably not. So, um, I, uh, in, in uh, May, uh, I got COVID and, and my heart went out of rhythm. So they're going to do a procedure to try to get my heart to just be back in rhythm. Everybody tells me it's routine. Uh, routine is anything that's not done to you. Uh, so I'm, uh, I, I really am grateful for your prayers. And I loved just singing a cappella together. Brian, thank you, not only for leading us, but for... But for worship, just up here worshiping, it was inspiring. So I made a note. I'm going back and just saying, Crossway, we need to at least once a quarter just put down the instruments and just sing because it, it, was, it was sweet. It was wonderful. Well, open up to John chapter 7, please. John chapter 7. And uh, while you're doing that, think of your dream car. Think of your dream car. That, that one that, so, you know, maybe it's a, a Bentley or a, a Rolls-Royce, some high-end car. Maybe it's a classic muscle car. Uh, might be an, an Aston Martin like James Bond uh, drives in the movies. Uh, machine guns optional. Um, or maybe it's some monster four-wheel drive uh, truck. Or maybe you'd, you'd just be ecstatic to have all of the Cheerios and Goldfish out of your minivan. That, 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 would, that would be your dream. 
but also think there's one small problem with your dream car, and that's this. It lacks a gas tank. And as a result, you don't have any gas, and as a result, you have to push your dream car everywhere that you go. Christians can be like that car. New creations in Christ, but lacking in spiritual power that you just don't seem to be changing much. You don't seem to be very fruitful in ministry. You're, you're not sensing much of a closeness to God, and, and you're frustrated with it all. And you're thinking, what can I do? And, and don't I remember something in the scripture about Jesus sending a helper, and I really need help. Well, uh, the good news is you remember correctly and that the Holy Spirit will help you to live a full and a fruitful Christian life as you depend upon him. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. How, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can experience uh, life-changing dynamics, uh, closeness with God, uh, fullness and fruitfulness in our Christian life through the Holy Spirit. And to that end, let's read John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. The word of the Lord. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Well, Father, we, I pray, pray this morning. I, I am so grateful for your saving grace in our lives. And if all you ever did for us was save us from our sins, we, we would have a, an eternity to be thankful for that. But you, you have done so much more. You, you have sent the third person of the Trinity. You have sent the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives to be our helper. Because we all need help. Uh, to help us to experience the, the fullness and the fruitfulness that comes with the Christian life. And so, Father, I, I, I pray today that, uh, Holy Spirit, I, I ask today that you would just help me to communicate some, some really basic truths about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that would encourage us, no matter where we are, um, you know, for those that aren't changing much and really want to, encourage them. But those who are, uh, they, would, they would be full of thankfulness. For those who are just frustrated by their seeming lack of fruitfulness, uh, I pray that their hearts would be encouraged, that they would, they would find hope. Those who long to just be closer to you, uh, I pray they'd find hope that their helper, the Holy Spirit, will be at work. Holy Spirit, I pray just in this message, uh, be at work, please, in your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, the feast that's being talked about here is what was known as the Feast of Booths, which celebrated the harvest. 
So Israel was an agricultural uh, economy and agricultural culture. And this feast was celebrating when the harvest was brought in. And it included a daily procession to the pool of Siloam uh, there in Jerusalem by the priests. And the priests would draw water out of this pool and then return and pour it on the altar in the temple, proclaiming from Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And this, this ceremony was an expression of their thankfulness for the rain that God had sent over the growing season in order that they could have a harvest. But also, it, it, was, it was a celebration of the expectation that the people had of, of the coming messianic age that would be characterized by the Holy Spirit being poured out universally on all of God's people and uh, with the Messiah himself, the anointed one, the Christ, who was to come uh, in particular, being a man who would, who would be characterized by the presence of the Holy Spirit and would rule in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Old Testament expressed this idea in a variety of ways. Let me just read a few. Uh, Joel chapter 2, which you'll be familiar with where Peter uh, read from this at Pentecost. But Joel chapter 2, 28 and 29, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. See, the spirit was poured out on, on certain people, prophets, kings, workmen in the Old Testament for particular jobs. But the promise was that the expectation was that the Holy Spirit in, in this coming age would be something that would be poured out on all people or someone. Uh, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And per the Messiah, Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And you'll probably remember from reading the New Testament in Luke chapter four, Jesus actually quotes this passage about himself. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance on our God to comfort all who mourn. And then the overall effect of the spirits being poured out in this way, we find in Isaiah 32, 15. Until the spirit is poured upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. In other words, the promise 
is when the Holy Spirit comes, there, there will be this renewal of the people and this renewal of, of the land. The, the wilderness will become fruitful. And uh, the promise is that because the Spirit is poured out on all of God's people, that they too will become fruitful. So we don't know for sure, but perhaps as the priests are finishing pouring out the water on the altar and reading from Isaiah 12:3, with joy you will pour out water from the wells of salvation, we read that Jesus stood up and cried out. Now you gotta get the drama of this moment. This, this religious ceremony is going, in, going on in the temple and uh, think, now don't do this, but think of uh, Brian stood up during the middle of this sermon and just yelled something out, stood up and, and cried out in the middle of the meeting. That, that kind of would have been the effect. It's like, what's he doing? What's he saying? What's going on here? The, the drama of the moment is meant to be palpable for us. So Jesus stood up and he cried out. As the scripture has said, now there is no exact quote in scripture uh, about what Jesus said, uh, but what he, what he says is a summary of all of these promises, all of these expectations of the spirit being poured out upon God's people in these last days. And several really important words here in Jesus' promise, whoever, that, that because the age of the Spirit is for everyone, there is no one, male, female, a slave, free, Jew, Gentile, race, it doesn't matter that the pouring out of the Spirit in, 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 in these last days, that the pouring out of the Spirit is, is for everyone. It's for all, whoever, no one, no one is excluded from the pouring out of the Spirit. Uh, heart, uh, because hope for change in any way begins with, from within. That until our hearts are changed, our, our actions, our words, which are reflective of what's in our hearts, those won't change. And then we'll flow rivers. He's speaking about the lavishness uh, of the Spirit when the Spirit is poured out, the richness of the Spirit when the Spirit is poured out. He's not saying there will be a trickle of the Spirit. He's not saying there'll just be kind of a light drizzle, uh, a little mist of the Spirit that will happen in that day. He says when, when God pours out the Spirit, it will be lavish. It will be like a flowing river, uh, a, a mighty uh, river of the Spirit being poured out on God's people. And that all of these things are for whoever believes in me. Jesus is, is giving us here a, a clear clue to his identity. By saying what he's saying here, he's making messianic promises to uh, the people. He's saying that, that, that one in, in Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord, that's, that's me. Uh, I am he who the scripture prophesies about. So come to me, believe in me, uh, and, and you will receive. 
not, not, not a collective ritual, but through personal faith, you will receive the Holy Spirit. That, that if we wanted to sum it up, everything that the Feast of Booths anticipated with the pouring out of these waters and this reading of drinking from the well of salvation, Jesus is saying everything that was anticipated, everything was promised will find its fulfillment in me, will find its yes in me. And then John in verse 39 actually clues in uh, his readers uh, to the fulfillment of what Jesus said. Uh, it not only looks back to what was prophesied, but it looks forward that, that this coming of the Spirit on all of God's people, on whoever, this, this renewing presence, this reviving presence of the, of the Holy Spirit, it will come when Jesus is glorified. There is a clear dividing point in all of human history. And that clear dividing point is the cross of Jesus Christ, his resurrection, and then his ascension. It's what Peter referred to at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, where he says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out, and don't miss that language, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And, and every verb that John uses in this passage indicates an ongoing action. Whoever keeps on coming, whoever keeps on drinking, whoever keeps on believing, the Spirit will lavishly keep on flowing for that person. When it comes to the, to the Holy Spirit, the, the imagery of water that we find here expresses three things. And that's what we want to finish our morning looking at. Uh, water causes things to grow. Water is harnessed for power. So think of turbines in a dam, for example. And water refreshes and revives. So when Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, when we look at the, at, at the rest of what Scripture says we find that this water imagery is a promise of growth. It's a promise of power, and it's a promise of refreshment and revival. First of all, the Holy Spirit helps us to grow. Charles Hodge, in his Systematic Theology, says, he is also predominantly called the Holy Spirit to indicate both his nature and operations. He is absolutely holy in his nature and the cause of holiness in all of his creatures. Now, to be holy, the root idea of being holy uh, is to be set apart and then also to be morally pure. To be set apart, to be morally pure. It, it is used almost interchangeably in scripture with words like sanctify, uh, righteousness, and all the derivatives of those uh, particular words. When, when you are born again of the Spirit, and then you are converted, 
we, we are sanctified. We are set apart for God's purposes. We are set apart and uniquely identified as God's people in that moment. Um, we are also justified. To be justified means to be declared, not made, but to be declared righteous, to have our sins forgiven, to be declared not guilty before God, to be declared acceptable in God's sight by virtue of our union with Jesus. His saving work at the cross and the resurrection and his ascension uh, applied uh, to us. Uh, justification speaks of a, of a judicial standing before God, but not the actual state of our character. And that gets to, to the second idea between, uh, uh, regarding holiness, uh, and that is that thanks to our conversion, thanks to our union with Jesus, thanks to our justification, we enter into this lifelong process of actually being made holy in our character and in our conduct. It's a, it's a process that's theologically known as sanctification. And both of these aspects of holiness or, or, or being made holy, both of these aspects are works of the Holy Spirit. And it, it's that second aspect that we're talking about here when we're talking about uh, the Holy Spirit uh, being the one who helps us to grow. That the new life we have in the Holy Spirit both motivates and empowers us to be able to live holy lives. Lives of virtue, lives of character, uh, lives that, that rightly glorify God. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, uh, the question kind of is, well, how does, how does he do that? How does this uh, work? And uh, I think what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 is probably as helpful as any passage in helping us to understand how it works. He writes there in 12 through 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And again, as we understand the rest of the scripture, when he says God works in you, he's talking about God the Holy Spirit uh, working in you. And he works in us in two ways. First of all, uh, he affects our wills. He affects our want to. He affects our, our desire. You know, the, 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 the Bible talks about the, the non-corporal uh, part of it, what can't be touched as, as, our, as our minds, our thoughts, our affections, our wills. And our, our wills are, are, are kind of constantly in this tug of war between what we know to be right and what our affections want. Oftentimes we get caught. If you've ever seen uh, the old cartoons where you have the angel 
sitting on one shoulder and the devil sitting on the other shoulder and the angels whispering one thing in one ear and the devil is whispering the other thing in the other ear. My biggest problem in the Christian life is I always don't want to do what I know is the right thing to do. But the Holy Spirit helps me to want to do. The Holy Spirit helps me to desire. He helps me to will or to want to do what is right. So he produces in me an awareness of my, of my own sin and a conviction of my own sin so that I can repent. Uh, he, he produces in me a hatred for evil and a love for what is good. Uh, he places in, in, in us a delight for obedience, and he places in us a love for God that above all motivates this obedience. He, he's constantly at work influencing our hearts, influencing our affections, influencing our thoughts so that he will influence our will. Uh, earlier, I read from Ezekiel 36 about receiving a new heart. In the very next verse, verse 27, it continues, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey uh, my rules. The Holy Spirit helps us to want to, and then he affects our actions. He, he helps us, he enables us to actually do, to actually grow in godliness or holiness or, or character. He bears spiritual fruit in our lives. He's the source of power to put sin to death. He's the source of power to resist temptation. He is constantly at work renewing and transforming into the image of Christ and imparting uh, the life of Jesus into our hearts. In Galatians 5, we read about this wonderful fruit of the Spirit that he produces in us, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Uh, in Romans 8, 13, Paul writes, for if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, uh, please note the phrase, if by the spirit you, you, you put to death. He does this in cooperation with us. Remember what I read in Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God the Holy Spirit who, who works within you. So this is not something that we're passive in, something we just sit back and yeah, go ahead, Holy Spirit, just be at work, make me holy, you know. I'll, uh, it's like learning language while you're sleeping because you're playing some, some tape under your, your pillow. Uh, that's not the way it works. The Holy Spirit works in cooperation with us to enable us to grow into the image of Christ, into greater holiness. Uh, Jerry Bridges says, though the power for godly character comes from Christ, the responsibility of developing and displaying that character is ours. We are dependent on God to enable us to do what we are responsible to do. I want to read that again. We are dependent on God to enable us to do what we are responsible to do. Bridges went on to say, his work lies behind our work 
and makes our work possible. So the first imagery of water and growth, the Holy Spirit helps us uh, to grow. If, if, if you're feeling frustrated because you just feel like you're stuck in your character and you're not growing, uh, the Holy Spirit will help you. Secondly, the Holy Spirit empowers Christian ministry. Uh, Bruce Milne, in his theology, Know the Truth, said the deepest words which can be spoken about Christian ministry in all of its forms is that it is nothing other than the ministry of the risen Lord among and through his people. Uh, in Ephesians 1, uh, Paul writes that we are the body of Christ. And the significance of this idea, this imagery of us being the body of Christ is that we now act as his representatives on the earth. Um, how does Jesus speak today? Well, he speaks through you and I. How does Jesus go today? Well, he goes through you and I. As his body, we, we represent him. We continue the ministry that he began when he was here uh, on the earth. And in order to effectively do that, he sends us a helper. He sends us the Holy Spirit. Um, and he helps us to do that outside the church with our witness. So in Acts chapter 1, 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. The ability for us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth is dependent upon the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and here's the good news. When we're witnessing to the gospel, the Holy Spirit is at work both in us and the people that are hearing us. That uh, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. Uh, and, and that encourages me. I don't know if it encourages you because I think sometimes we can be so intimidated. Now, we do, we do need to get the basic gospel right when we're witnessing, but it doesn't have to be this wonderfully florid, flowing presentation of the gospel. Paul himself said, it's not like my message was in these plausible words of wisdom. In other words, the way he spoke the message, it didn't impress uh, people apart from the Holy Spirit being at work in his witness. And then the Holy Spirit not only empowers ministry outside of the church, he empowers ministry inside of the church through spiritual gifts. So just as he gives us power to witness, he gives us gifts to build up uh, the church. Just as any holiness we have is as a result of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in cooperation with us, any effectiveness or fruitfulness we have in ministry, both outside or inside the church, is because of the Holy Spirit being at work uh, in us. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another of good stewards of God's varied grace. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, in the next several weeks, 
Uh, I know Josh and Aaron are going to do a great job of unpacking 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 uh, for you. But uh, let, me just, let me just make a few points that I know they'll revisit and, and uh, do a greater job of getting in depth. Um, first of all, each person receives at least one spiritual gift. There are no ungifted Christians. And, and just so you understand what we're talking about, spiritual gifts, Wayne Grudem says, the spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in ministry in the church. So when Brian Salvi stands up here and leads you in singing, he's expressing a spiritual gift, the Holy Spirit using that ability that he's given him uh, for ministry in the church. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, each is given a manifestation of the Spirit. Uh, 1 Peter 4, as each has received a gift. Um, gifting may vary in the kind of gift. It, it may vary in number of gifts. Maybe some people have multiple gifts. It might vary in degree or the strength of, of gifting as it expresses but, but there's no one that's not gifted in some way. Uh, in fact, it might actually shock you to know, whether you like it or not, you're actually charismatic. Uh, and biblical authors lift spiritual gifts in at least five different places in the scripture. There's overlap in these lists. Some talk about the same. Uh, uh, and none of the lists are exhaustive. Uh, that there might be spiritual gifts that Paul didn't particularly put down anywhere. Uh, Peter just summarizes in two broad categories. There's gifts of doing and there's gifts of, of, of speaking. But the point is everyone, there's no one who isn't lacking a spiritual gift for the common good of the church. Uh, the secondly, uh, these gifts are to be used to serve others for God's glory. In 1 Corinthians 12, Manifestations of the Spirit for common good. First Peter 4 again. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. See, these gifts are given to us for two purposes. For two ministry purposes. They're given to us to edify or build up or strengthen the church or individuals within the church. And they're given to glorify God, especially Jesus Christ as Lord as he reigns, uh, ascended on high, and is pouring out the Spirit and building his church. And nowhere, 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 nowhere does the Scripture ever discourage us from pursuing spiritual gifts. In fact, quite the contrary, uh, the Scripture encourages us, and you'll get to this when you study uh, chapters 12 and 14, to pursue spiritual gifts. So 1 Corinthians 12, 31 earnestly desire the higher gifts. 1 Corinthians 14.1, pursue love and earnestly desire uh, the spiritual gifts. And uh, the reason I, it was so wise of Josh and Aaron and, um, and, and Jim uh, to want to start out speaking about 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is that it's vital for us to keep the broad work of the Holy Spirit in mind as we study what some people call miraculous or spectacular gifts in 1 Corinthians. 
I believe the weakness of many charismatic or continuationist type of churches is that they, that they limit the Spirit's work to a, a few gifts that we find there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And as a result, uh, they limit the experience that Jesus intends his people to have the experience of being able to grow in character, the experience of being able to minister broadly both inside and outside the church. There is one more area that the Spirit works. The Holy Spirit revives and refreshes us. In his benediction to 2 Corinthians in 13, 14, Paul writes, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He, he's, he's expressing the, the way each person of the Trinity is primarily, not, not, not fully, not completely, not only, but primarily at work. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the unmerited favor that comes to us because we've been united with him in his death and in his resurrection. We are beneficiaries of Jesus' gospel work. The love of God the Father, which motivated uh, this work and motivates everything he does. God loves his people. He loves you. He loves this church. And then the fellowship or the day-to-day ongoing interaction that we have with the Holy Spirit in order to uh, experience this flowing river, as Jesus said in John chapter 7, this lavishness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, A couple quotes, J. Rodman Williams says, the coming of the Holy Spirit is the coming of God himself. He comes to those whose sins have been forgiven and whose lives have been made new. And if you're a believer here this morning, that's you. Talking about you. He comes from the exalted Christ to be dynamically present in and among his people. Those to whom he comes are thereby more deeply aware of the presence and the reality of God. That, That closeness that we all desire, that fellowship with God that we all desire when we sit down to pray or to read our Bibles or experience on Sunday morning or throughout the week. Millard Erickson said it simply, the Holy Spirit is the point at which the Trinity becomes personal to the believer. So Jesus has promised us at the Feast of Booths, he's promised us this ability to drink from the wells of salvation as he gives us the living water of the Holy Spirit to help us to grow, to help us to be fruitful in ministry, and to help us experience this fellowship and closeness with God that we all desire. Let's finish with this question. So how do I draw draw upon this living water? How do I get this living water? Jesus actually told us in the, in the passage that we're studying. First of all, desire, thirst. If anyone is thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, 
In other words, he's not talking about half-hearted, take it or leave it, half-interested. But he's talking about someone with, with thirst. Um, I never took calculus in school, and there has never been a moment in my life where I have regretted not taking calculus. <laughs> not a moment. I would have failed it anyway, but that's beside the point. And the reason why is this. I have never needed to use calculus in my entire life. And as a result, I have no thirst for calculus. Probably even less for trigonometry. I'm not even that excited in adding, subtracting, multiplying, and dividing. Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, that, that's, that's the, the first qualification is just desire. What could be simpler? The first qualification is simply thirst. Do you find that you're growing little in your life? Or maybe there's a sin that you've struggled with and it has dominated you that you just want to be done with. Or are you tired of feeling like you're bearing little fruit in ministry? Do you long for a deeper relationship with God? Guess what? You qualify for the Holy Spirit. You're thirsty. You don't have to earn uh, the Holy Spirit. He comes to you free of charge. He was purchased for you at the cross. Are you thirsty? You qualify. My goal whenever I speak about the Holy Spirit and experience the Holy Spirit in churches has always been intelligent, consistent, passionate pursuit of God's empowering presence and spiritual gifts and all the blessings that ensue. Intelligent in that we want to be biblically informed. We don't, we don't want our, our doctrine of the Spirit to be based on experience or someone else's experience on social media. We want to understand, what does the Scripture say? And it says wonderful things about the Holy Spirit. Uh, consistent. In other words, it's not something, that, ah, yeah, you know, a couple years ago, that Mickey Conley guy said something about the Holy Spirit. And then, and then passionate, be wholehearted. So just desire. Aren't you glad that the, that the qualification is, I just want to, I just, I'm thirsty. And then faith. All grace comes to us through uh, faith. And the Holy Spirit is, is, is no different. That, and, and it's just faith based on what Jesus said. What, what could be clearer? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me, and whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, either Jesus was lying, or you, you just haven't decided to believe what he, what he just so clearly said here. And then the last thing is, it's just to come. Just to come. Jesus is anxious to give to all who come. He didn't extend this invitation to somehow disappoint you. It's not like a, a Black Friday sale where you're, oh, I'm sorry, we're sold out. You know, no more Holy Spirit for you. He didn't extend it to disappoint. Just come. Ephesians 5.18, be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me finish by encouraging you with this. Don't let your understanding 
or experience of the Spirit be event-driven. Let, let it be your daily experience. Let, let your fellowship with the Spirit be a fulfillment of a daily need for I, I don't know how many years. Um, I regularly, almost every day, end, end my time of, of praying um, by just in some way recognizing, Holy Spirit, I need you today. If I'm gonna grow, if I'm gonna be fruitful in ministry, I long for closeness with God and fellowship with God. Holy Spirit, I, I need you uh, today. Would you, would you come? Would you please just come? To, I'm thirsty. Would you just please come and, and fill me afresh and empower me afresh um, so that I might edify the church and then I might glorify you. Father, I, I, I pray that that would be the experience of this church as they understand and, and pursue you broadly, as they understand and pursue these gifts that are clearly from you to, to help and strengthen the church for the common good. The, I pray for, for Joshua and Aaron and anyone else who might participate in preaching in this series. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you please meet them in their study? Would you please meet them as they preach on Sunday mornings that, that your, your experience of understanding 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, um, particularly the, the importance of all of these gifts being motivated by love for you. Uh, I, I, I pray that you would use them and it, it, would, gee, it, it would make a dramatically different effect upon this already wonderful church. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.